This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Hi, and a very good afternoon to you, and welcome. Wonderful to be with you. It's seven minutes past two on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon here in Joburg. Um, as usual, coming to you live on 101.9 High FM and with our program of Judaism 101.9. Now, did somebody say 65 rand for fish, chips, and a cold drink? Yes, that's right. 65 rand for fish, chips, and a cold drink at the open flame, as well as many other amazing specials for the nine days, including a Thai fish curry bunny and a drink for only 60 bucks. The open flame can be found downstairs in the Kingwood Center in Northfield Avenue. And yes, we are into that period of time that we, of course, know as the nine days. It is the nine days building up, leading up to Tisha B'Av. And so our topic for today, of course, is going to be the nine days, preparations for Tisha B'Av, Tisha B'Av itself, and then hopefully uh, <coughs> next week, next week, which will be the day after Tisha B'Av, we will be dealing with the follow-up. What happens after Tisha B'Av, and of course, life goes on, life continues, and uh, we look forward to not having a sad Tisha B'Av at all, but uh, practically speaking, unless we hear that Mashiach has come, um, we need to prepare ourselves for another uh, Tisha B'Av of fasting coming up uh, during the coming week. Let's focus our attention a little bit. Um, first of all, first up on the nine days. What are these nine days all about? What are these three weeks actually all all about? We missed it last week, unfortunately. wasn't I wasn't feeling that well, um, and was quite unable to talk to you. Um, I, it wouldn't have been a pleasant experience, but uh, back today and uh, therefore a little bit of catching up to do on uh, the three weeks and the nine days. Well, in the midst of the three-week period, we change focus. We up the ante, so to speak, a little bit, and we become a little bit more focused on um, a more intense kind of a morning. Now, that is because we have entered into the month of Av, the month of Av. The uh, Mishnah tells us that Mishanichnas Av Mema'atim Basimcha. When the month of Av comes in, we diminish in joy. Joy goes down. Now, <coughs> it's understood, of course, that the prerequisite of uh, a Jew always and everybody all the time is that we have to serve Hashem with joy. We've got to be joyous. We've got to be happy. We've got to have a positive disposition, a positive outlook. That has to be the overriding, overruling framework of our functioning. And it also goes without saying that um, during the first part of the three weeks, we have already somewhat diminished in our joy. Um, and therefore, when the month of Av comes in, which was actually over this, the beginning of this week, um, on Monday, we had to take one step down, diminish a little further in our joy. And what are the things that our sages have recommended and that we actually have as part of our code of Jewish law of the behaviors of the things that we institute from the beginning of the month of Av all the way up until uh, just before Tisha B'Av? Well, they are more or less the following things. So first of all, in addition 
to the things that were prohibited during the three weeks. Um, we still may not take a haircut. Um, however, of course, if it pertains to a woman with a shaitl or uh, with um, other preparations that need to be made for a woman, for instance, to go to the mikveh, um, there are certain exceptions to that rule. Something like an optionish. So in other words, the first cutting of a child's um, hair, um, a child who hasn't had his hair cut up until his third birthday would not have his hair cut during this period of time as we wouldn't have done throughout the three weeks and um, weddings are still not permitted and celebrated during these days all the way up until um, the day after Tisha B'Av. We may not eat a new fruit unless for health purposes. So we refrain from anything that is new and anything that is going to give us a certain element of joy. We do not listen to live music um, and uh, even recorded music. Um, that is one of the reasons why on these slots on 101.9 High FM, we only play a cappella uh, music, music that is not um, a musical instruments, but rather just the singing voice, even though um, they do make the bebop uh, kind of sounds and so on. Um, that is permitted. We do not play music during this period of time. If it is for a festive reason, for a joyous reason, for a simcha and so on, um, it is certainly avoided and for entertainment. However, if it's incidental, if you're uh, driving in your car and there's a jingle, if you uh, have the jingles that go sort of with adverts or you walk into a shopping mall and you hear a little bit of music um, that is regarded as irrelevant, you do not have to walk with your uh, fingers in your ears, um, although that would probably be quite interesting. We do not build we do not remodel, we do not renovate, and we certainly should not paint our homes at this time. It's not a time for um, that kind of joyous activity. However, of course, if um, the project has begun before or if your builder is on a tight schedule, uh, you'd need to consult with your own uh, rabbi in order to work out exactly what the terms and conditions uh, would be uh, to enable that building to continue. We should not move into a new home if that can be avoided. We also avoid signing any uh, contracts, uh, purchasing any new great items. We don't plant flowers or trees, um, etc. during this time. Um, however, you may plant if you are a farmer. Um, and it is the only time when planting can take place, and you've got to make sure that you hit the right season for the rains, etc. Um you should not uh, travel during this time, particularly for um, um, uh, recreational or um, entertainment or uh, luxury kind of uh, purposes. Travel, however, is permitted, of course, in order to be able to go into from work or even if you need to take an overseas trip um, for work, um, most authorities would permit this. Um, we also would refrain during this period of time of undergoing any sorts of medical procedures if they can be avoided. However, of course, um, the overriding rule that would always apply uh, to any medical procedure is if it is an emergency, it needs to be done uh, no matter when it is, um, that, of course, needs to take place. Engagements can take place during this period of time. Um, one may become engaged. So there's the good news for those who are thinking that you have to defer it until after Tisha B'Av. You can get engaged at this time. Um, however, it would be inappropriate to have a big raucous, uh, raucous kind of a uh, party um, with all sorts of uh, merrymaking and so on. Uh, perhaps that would be pushed off until afterwards, although a little chayim to uh, say Mazel Tov uh, would, of course, be permitted during this time. 
Um, we do not swim or bathe. Now, um, this is the difficult one that people often battle with, and that is that bathing, bathing, um, um, and so on is really forbidden during the period of the nine days in the build-up to Tisha B'Av. However, <clears throat> most would say that today the majority of people, very pedantic about their cleanliness, um, would qualify uh, to be the type of person that's referred to in the Shulchan Aruch as an istinus, a kind of a person who is really, really pedantic about their um, personal hygiene. And therefore, once again, consult with your own uh, rabbi. But broadly speaking, um, we would do things like um, not taking a long hot shower, not sitting soaking up in a bath. Um, We certainly, it's not a time to go to the jacuzzi or to spend time in the sauna (coughs) or uh, to go for uh, the swim that you were waiting for. Um, Those things should be avoided. We try to diminish um, in that kind of a realm as well. If um, a person uh, needs, um, nails may be cut during this time, particularly for the sake of uh, Shabbat. Um, We do not wear new clothing. Any new clothing um, should not be put on and, if possible, not purchased uh, during this period of time. However, if, of course, there is some kind of a special sale, um, one does not have to lose a fortune of money by having to wait another week in order to purchase. And, of course, one may purchase and um, get clothing ready if there is a simcha that is going to be taking place immediately after and there won't be enough time to get uh, the wedding dress ready or uh, the suit altered or so on. Um, And once again, I recommend that you consult with your uh, rabbi. If we think about laundry, laundry during this period of time is also forbidden. Uh, We do not do any laundry during this period of time um, and we do not wear freshly laundered clothes. So if you do have freshly laundered clothes, it is suggested that um, you either should have tried them on before or you get somebody else to try them on for you, which uh, sounds a little awkward and uh, quite unappealing to most. So uh, most of our sages say that if you only have freshly laundered clothing, um, which obviously and, uh, well, maybe not so obviously does not apply, by the way, to underwear. Underwear um, does not constitute real clothing for this uh, in this realm, but your shirts, your suits, your dresses and so on, if uh, one needs to don those uh, during this period of time, they should perhaps be placed for a few minutes on the floor beforehand in order to make them kind of uh, not freshly laundered, to take them out of that uh, pristine state uh, that would make us feel great and good and wonderful. We do not uh, launder um, um, our um, uh, sheets and our uh, linen and so on. Bed linen should have been changed uh, before the nine days. Um, one should not change bed linen and uh, have freshly uh, laundered linen um, during this period of time, unless, of course, uh, there are great extenuating circumstances such as um, um, nothing else. Um, it's uh, become soiled or whatever, um, where once again a certain leniency would apply. Um, Of course, the main thing that people know during this period of time is what we don't eat. We avoid certain foods, and particularly in the realm of meat and wine. 
Now, um, interestingly enough, why it is that meat and wine are avoided at this time is, number one, meat and wine are the mainstays of simcha, of joyous occasions. Um, you know, it's synonymous with a Shabbat meal, but it's also synonymous with a simcha meal, like a wedding and so on. We avoid them, but also because it was meat and wine that were the mainstays of the um, sacrifices in the temple. And therefore, how can we be eating meat and drinking wine, um, thinking about the Beit HaMikdash, which li- lies in ruins um, at this time. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Okay, so of course, getting back to the most important topic of uh, the nine days is what we can and what we cannot eat. So as we mentioned before the break, we're not allowed to eat meat, we're not allowed to drink wine, and that would include any wine kind of product. So in other words, it includes grape juice and so on. However, the use of a wine-based vinegar, um, I understand, is is okay. Um, but we avoid wine, we avoid grape juice, and we avoid meat and chicken. Anything that qualifies as meat um, from the meaty side of your kitchen, uh, we avoid as well. However, one may use um, fleshica pots. You may use fleshica, um, in other words, meaty dishes, pots and pans, and so on. Um, those are all permitted uh, during this period of time. And um, other alcoholic beverages are allowed um, but we avoid wine particularly and of course um, the spirit of uh, the whole of this period of time is uh, that we avoid sort of raucous simcha saying l'chaim and so on um, where and if possible now um, during this period of time it is customary by many to try and increase in the simcha dimension that we are permitted to do. And therefore, it is customary and particularly something that was um, very much the focus of uh, the Lubavitcher Rebbe uh, was that during this period of time, we should have siyumim. Now, a siyum is the completion of a tractate of Talmud, which we try to make sure that we complete um, at this time and therefore to hold a gathering um, called a siyum where we do the completion where we actually um, learn the last few lines um, and hopefully the first line um, of the tractate and kind of have this idea of uh, the simcha, of the joy that learning brings to us and particularly the joy on the completion of a tractate, the completion of a segment, of a large, vast segment of Jewish learning and Jewish law is uh, regarded as a great accomplishment and therefore a great simcha, not only for the person who has done it, but for those with whom he shares um, the, that uh, siyum, that completion. And therefore it warrants some form of a uh, of a simcha that follows it, of a, a festive meal, um, perhaps not in the fullest sense of the word, but at least to be able to um, have a bite together and to be able to say um, a l'chaim uh, to the person who has completed that tractate. Um, this is appropriate during this period of time. However, um, most would not permit wine and would not permit the eating of meat or chicken. Um, it's not a uh, move uh, to be able to institute those things into our lives, but rather just to add to the concept of Simcha during this period of time. Now, the focus of this entire period, before we get to talk about the Shabbat that is coming up ahead, is of course one of being a little downhearted and in a state of mourning. 
And the reason, of course, is that um, these days were synonymous with death, destruction, difficulty, uh, restrictions, all the difficult things that our people suffered in uh, what can only be termed the holocausts that um, actually occurred to them at the time of the destruction of the first temple all those thousands of years ago when the first temple, the first Beit HaMikdash was destroyed approximately two and a half thousand years ago and approximately two thousand years ago when the second temple was destroyed by the Romans. And of course, if uh, there was ever a handbook, um, God forbid, on how to um, hurt, harm, maim, um, create difficulties and problems um, for our people, um, those were the guys who um, really mastered it and uh, did it and taught, unfortunately, so many afterwards um, of exactly how you could be um, incredibly cruel, incredibly unkind, incredibly um, monstrous in the type of behaviors that um, they demonstrated and that they did to our people leading up to the destruction, not only of the first temple, but of the second one exactly 490 years apart to the day both temples lay in ruins on Tisha B'Av. The first temple destroyed, as we said, by the Muchatnezer, by the uh, Rome, by the by the Babylonians. The second one um, by the Romans under the leadership of Titus of Titus, and um, of course um, those destructions taking place on that fateful day called Tisha B'av. But we know that Tisha B'av was a day that preceded the destruction of the first and the second temples. The Tisha B'av date first comes into play when the Jewish people are in the desert. When we were in the desert and we um, came to Moshe Rabbeinu, to Moses, it's mentioned, of course, um, once again in the Parsha that we're going to be reading this Shabbat, um, that um, they came to Moses and they said, please, we're afraid of going into Israel, send spies. Let us send those spies and let them check it out. Moses agrees. The spies go. Twelve of them, um, ten of them come back, of course, with a bad report. The date of their return to the Jewish people, to the fold of the Jewish people, was the 8th of Av. So that's this coming um, Monday. Next Monday would be the date on which the spies returned. And they came back with their a negative report about Israel wanting the Jewish people to spend more time in the desert, whatever their agenda actually was. The Jewish people that night cried. Um, they cried for the fact that they bemoaned their terrible fate, that God had taken them out of Egypt, seemingly to uh, be swallowed up by the giants, by all the difficulties that they were going to confront on their advent to the Holy Land, on their advent to Israel. And uh, these um, spies, therefore, accomplished um, a, a terrible, terrible twist in um, what happened to the Jewish people on our um, passage from uh, Egypt to Israel all those years ago. And that was that um, God kind of got the distinct feeling that the Jewish people uh, didn't want to go into Israel. Of course, they expressed it. And therefore, he said uh, they will die out in the desert. Um, and of course, according to the Midrash, they died year after year on Tisha B'Av itself. There had been a decree that nobody would get sick and nobody would actually die of natural causes. But 600,000 men between the age of 20 and 60 had to uh, die. And uh, so approximately 15,000 of them uh, would die every year. And they all died 
on Tisha B'Av and so therefore the day became a day of sadness, of mourning, of uh, loneliness, of uh, death, of destruction, um, all those years back then. Um, and of course, um, sw- swung around and changed um, when we came into Israel with the advent of the uh, arrival in Israel and then of course with the first temple and so on. But then it was the date, the fateful date on which the first temple was destroyed and then of course the second one. Now, there is something very, very fascinating about our general demeanor and our general attitude during this period of time. So we've been through all the things that we may or may not do during this period of time, during these nine days and in the build-up to Tisha B'Av. But what is our state of mind? Well, there um, is generally a feeling of um, depression, of sadness, of uh, melancholy, of being um, downhearted. And um, I'm not convinced, I don't think, um, that our sages are either, that um, this is actually the frame of mind that we are truly supposed to be in. If we think about it, we can uh, borrow a very, very beautiful image from the Haftorah that we read a couple of weeks ago, um, which was the Haftorah Divrei Yirmiyahu, where we have the prophet Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah, speaks about an almond branch, the branch of an almond. Um, and he talks about that as his prophecy depicting the swiftness with which um, the downfall of Israel could take place um, all those years ago with the destruction. Um, and of course, um, our Mephorshim point out, our sages tell us that the almond comes to fruition very, very quickly. In fact, from the moment of the bud appearing on the stick, on the stalk, on the plant, on the, on the uh, branch of the almond, until the fruit actually appears is, we're told, 21 days. And so it starts to uh, ring true here. We, we've got a 21-day period of mourning, but a 21-day period that, of course, mirrors the amount of time that it took from the breaching of the walls of Jerusalem until the temple lay in ruins. Um, This idea of the almond, um, while it seems to be such a beautiful, beautiful image, um, it's got this uh, really uh, sour and negative connotation of just how much Uh, or how quickly um, the destruction came about, how quickly it happened, uh, that within three weeks um, the temple lay in ruins. Well, if we think about um, the fact, we're told, that the Jewish people do not refer to this period of time by the name 21 days, we rather call it the three weeks, it kind of rings to the idea and ideal of our people to look at everything in a positive frame of mind, in a positive way. Because the number 21, while that might have a negative connotation in terms of the almonds, the number three has a very positive connotation in terms of this period of time. Because as mentioned, what are we mourning? What are we thinking about? We're thinking about the destruction of not one but two Bate Migdash. We're talking about not one but two temples. Both of them destroyed on the same day, 490 years apart. So what about three? What about the third? Well, that is really the focus, particularly, I think, of this last week, where we start to focus much more on the hope for the future, on the idea of the fact that there will be a third Beit HaMikdash, there will be a third temple, that while one and two have been removed. We know that those were tragedies, and we know that they were terrible, but we also know that the only reason why 
Hashem chose, why God chose to remove or allow the removal of Temple 1 and Temple 2 was because there will be a Temple 3, because there will be a third Beit HaMikdash, there will be a Temple that is waiting to descend, that will come about with the arrival of Mashiach, may he come speedily in our time, and that at that time, at that moment, everything will change. And this is the hope, and this is the focus, perhaps, of this period of time. Um, it's not just about being in mourning. It's not just about being sad. In fact, if that's all we've learned, we've probably stopped short of hearing the real message behind this period of time. It is all about thinking about what we have lost in order to be able to appreciate what we need to gain, what we are missing in order to know what we are yearning for and what we're thinking about and what we're focusing on coming back to us. This is not only a one-sided focus of, oh, it was bad, it was terrible, it was destructive, it was uh, decimating, it was negative in every sense of the word, but this is a hope and an expression of the ultimate hope for the future. The fact that these things happened is the clearest sign to us that great and wondrous and wonderful things are deemed necessary and are going to be happening in the very, very near future. And therefore, as we approach this coming Shabbat, which is, by the way, called by a special name, it is the Shabbat called Shabbat Chazon. It is the Shabbat Chazon because... It is named after the Haftorah, the reading from the prophets that is going to be done at the end of the Torah reading on this coming Shabbat is taken from a prophecy called, known as Chazon Yeshayahu, the prophecy of Isaiah. Two weeks ago, we read Divrei Yirmiyahu. Last week, Shimu Dvar Hashem, the second of the three-week um, three week. Um, Haftorahs that are read And this one is called Chazon Yeshayahu It's the vision of Isaiah Now what is the vision of Isaiah And what does it actually mean to us Perhaps most important As we have mentioned before But it's important to reiterate And to mention again Reblevi Yitzchok of Barditchev The famous um, Barditchev Rov said that this period of time or this particular Shabbat is known as Shabbat Chazon because it's a period of vision. It's the time when we see or when our souls are shown a vision of the third Beit HaMikdash, of the third temple. It is the time when we focus on what we are about to receive, what we're about to get. And it's shown to us in a spiritual sense, unfortunately, um, only so far in a spiritual sense, hopefully it will be in the real, proper and fullest sense, in a physical sense, um, on this coming Shabbat. But it's on this Shabbat that we've shown that vision of the third Beit HaMikdash, of the temple that is waiting for us, that is waiting to descend, of the temple that will be brought about, that will come about, will be built by, and uh, all the other things that will come with it um, in the coming, in the time of Mashiach. So we focus on the chazon, on this vision. Now, if we think about it, the concept of vision 
Um, we often refer, I think, to people who have vision. Vision is something that is a beautiful, beautiful bracha. It's a wonderful thing to be able to have um, the ability to see things that other people cannot see, the ability to look forward, the ability to see the outcomes, to understand uh, what eventually is going to transpire, what is going to be. This is the concept of vision. And the vision that the Jewish people have is not a vision of doom and gloom. It's not a vision of negativity and despondency, but on the contrary, it is a vision that has to be one that is filled with wonderful, beautiful things, with peace on earth, with uh, unity, with um, the, um, the the spiritual upliftment that we all hope and pray for, with simcha, with joy, with all of those things that will, we know, come to be at the time that Mashiach comes. So it's about the ability to focus our attention on the visions of the glorious, wonderful outcomes um, and glorious, wonderful outcome of this period of time of these three weeks. So once we've been through one and we've been through two, we now come to the number three, which has got all of that positivity um, incorporated into it. Now... This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Hi, we've been talking about the rules and regulations of the nine days and the coming Shabbat. Well, pertaining to the coming Shabbat, of course, because it's Shabbos, um, we are permitted to eat meat. We are permitted to drink wine. And in fact, we are encouraged to do so. Um, even if ordinarily we wouldn't, in other words, to go out of our way to show that there is absolutely no sign of mourning on Shabbat because Shabbat is called Ma'ain Olam Haba. Shabbat is a taste of the time to come, of the future time, of the time uh, once Mashiach has arrived. And therefore, it would be completely incorrect, completely wrong to have any sign, any semblance of mourning um, during this time and particularly on this coming Shabbat when we need to go out of our way to make sure that we are besimcha. Meat, wine, chicken, so on, all permitted as is regular. And of course, we can uh, get ourselves ready for Shabbat in the usual way. There are some who um, would uh, advise not uh, dressing up as much as possible. However, most say that uh, the entire Shabbat is entirely a period that um, is kind of lifted out while it is counted as one of the nine days. It's lifted out of those nine days because it is a taste of the future, a taste of the world to come. On Saturday night, as soon as Shabbat has gone out, however, we revert back into those nine days kind of a mode. And therefore, um, we may have a kind of a problem with making Havdola. Havdola, <coughs> the um, separation um, ceremony that is done at the end of Shabbat, um, which is usually done over a cup of wine. Um, it is preferable, if possible, to give that wine to a child um, to drink, so therefore probably you're going to need to make it over grape juice, but you yourself should not drink it unless there is nobody else who can, and then it is, of course, permitted, being that it is the ceremony to see Shabbat out. But other than that, um, we go back into then the phase of uh, no meat and wine until the day after Tisha B'Av, which will be Wednesday next week. So... Monday afternoon, um, we're already into, uh, unless, of course, you heard that Mashiach has come, um, all of this will not apply. So I'm just telling you what we always used to do um, pertaining to uh, the advent of Tisha B'Av, that is Monday from uh, midday onwards. We no longer uh, learn Torah 
like we usually would. Um, we can only study things that are of a sad nature, all about the destruction, the laws of uh, mourning for the temple and so on, um, that are studied um, in the afternoon rather than usual Torah learning, which would lift the soul, which would make us feel excited and happy and simchadik. Um, and then the fast will come in um, at um, sunset on Monday evening, um, the beginning of the fast of Tisha B'Av. Now, there are a lot of people who are under the false impression that the most important uh, date of fasting in the Jewish calendar is only Yom Kippur. Um, our sages beg to differ with that, and they tell us that the fast on Tisha B'Av, because it's of a communal nature, it pertains to the Beit HaMignash, to the temple, is um, as important, if not more important, dare I say, than Yom Kippur itself, which is very, very personal. Um, we need to focus a lot of our attention on the community, on our people, on the destruction of the Bote Migdash, of the temples, and the hope and the prayer that, they will, <coughs> that the third temple will come, will be restored, and that Mashiach will come um, speedily in our time. So during um, the day of Monday, we are already starting to focus on Tisha B'Av when Tisha B'Av comes in. Just prior to sunset, we should um, eat a meal sitting low. We sit lower than uh, we ordinarily would, kind of as a sign of mourning, of course, um, eating um, only non-meat, non-chicken, non-wine um, kind of foods um, and taking in uh, Tisha B'Av. There is a custom that many have to eat the kind of f- food stuffs that um, – the kind of foodstuffs that we um, uh, would do for a fast, for rather for a mourner, uh, taking in the period of the time of mourning, um, something round, bagel, uh, an egg, and so on. Um, many people who do that. And then, of course, as Tisha B'Av arrives, we change into non-leather shoes. We sit low for the duration of the of the night, as well as uh, during the first part of Tuesdays. Up until Tuesday midday, we would remain seated low, even if you go to shul. We sit on lower stools, lower chairs, um, in a sign of mourning um, for the destruction of the temples. And, of course, our Jewish people being in that uh, state of mourning. Lights are dimmed in the shul, and in the evening service, of Monday evening, we say the Book of Lamentations, the Book of Eicha, uh, which is said, and then of course Kinot um, said both in the evening and then predominantly in the morning, um, following our morning prayers. Men, guys, don't put on tefillin on Tuesday morning. Um, we only do that after midday in the afternoon. So watch out for your shul when you have um, mincha announced. Mincha service on um, Tuesday will be a little earlier than usual to enable people to put on tefillin, uh, say the Shema with the tefillin on, and we daven the afternoon prayer. Mincha is davened on Tuesday with tefillin. Talis and tefillin, by the way. Um, ex- uh, and, uh, of course, most unusual, we don't put it on talus or tefillin in the morning, in the morning part of Tuesday. So there's the sitting low, uh, there's the fasting. We do not eat or drink, of course, anything from the time that we uh, bring in the fast, which is sunset on Monday, all the way through until nightfall, roughly, I guess, around six o'clock on um, Tuesday um, when the fast will end. And um, 
uh, we have in all of the things that pertain to Yom Kippur pertain to Tisha B'Av as well in that we may not um, eat or drink. We may not anoint. We do not put on creams and ointments. We don't bathe. We do not take a shower, um, all of that sort of stuff. And in addition to that, we sit low, whether at home or in shul or anywhere else. Try and avoid going to work on Tuesday, particularly in the morning if that is possible. Um, while we may drive and we may handle money and so on, we avoid anything that is going to take our minds away from uh, the time, the period of mourning um, that is so important for Tisha B'Av Day. So a little bit of a run-up uh, and a run-down, rather, to uh, Tisha B'Av, to this period of time and what it is truly all about. And hopefully we get the focus right, that... It is a period of time where we are sad. It is a period of time where we are downcast. It is a period of time where we do have all of these laws of mourning, but perhaps they are all there to promote a feeling of uh, just what it is that we're missing, what we need to regain, and to increase our yearning and our desire to see the third Beit HaMikdash, the third temple, to increase that desire for Mashiach to come, to increase that desire and that understanding that um, all of the tragedies and the difficulties and the problems are now past. And it's time for us to focus on a beautiful and a glorious future, to spend time contemplating all of that during this period of time. And then on Tisha B'Av itself will hopefully merit that um, we will not have to commemorate a Tisha B'Av anymore of one of darkness, of sadness, and of misery, but rather it will be as our sages have promised us, turned around and become one that is filled with glory, with wonderful things, with simcha, with joy. It will become the ultimate of all the Yomim Tovim, of all the special days. So I want to wish you a great rest of the week, a great Shabbat up ahead. Um, I want to wish you a good fast if we still have to fast um, on Tisha B'Av itself. Hopefully we won't, and hopefully we'll be able to um, speak next time about the arrival of Mashiach as something that has already happened. Take care.